0: So you're not really into March Madness? Is that good? All right, well, the whole sermon's about this, so you're going to really, really enjoy the day. The theme is March Madness because I see Paul as he enters Jerusalem in Acts chapter 22, experiencing what I would say all madness breaking loose. And so that's sort of the theme today. And as we're on that theme as well, next Monday night for the finals. I don't know if many of you are going to be there, but we're having a party to watch the finals together. So if you even just want to hang out, we would love for you to be there. Even if you don't watch very much basketball, it's a lot of fun. And it's going to be at someone's house. You have to get the map outside because you have to sign up to bring something. We're going to do like a potluck thing. So I'm not telling you where it is. You have to go out there, get the map, sign up for the potluck, and then you'll know where it's at. It's going to be a lot of fun. So back to Acts 22. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts 22 or your phone app. And if you're sitting on the aisle, could you pass those pens down your aisle and pull out your notes? We'll jump right in. In Acts 22, I think it's a fitting title to call it March Madness, because as Paul enters Jerusalem, we see in this first part, he starts out as normal. He goes as he went through every city that we've studied so far and begins sharing this message of Jesus Christ, who he loves. We see him go through all the way down, explaining his journey, even talking about the Shekinah glory moment when the light was shining and it was so bright that it like blinded him. And God spoke to him that he's supposed to reach both the Jews and the Gentiles. And when he says Gentiles... That's when the madness breaks loose. That's where in Jerusalem, they couldn't quite handle it. They weren't ready for that phase of the gospel. So that gets us to Acts chapter 22, verse 22. And it says this, The crowd listened to Paul until he said this, this Gentiles comment. He then, or then, then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him, he's not fit to live. All right, how would that make you feel if you heard those comments? You're telling people about Jesus, and the next things out of their mouth are, rid the earth of him. Uh, He's not fit to live. It's pretty strong language, right? So as usual, they would, you know, then grab dust, throw it up in the air. Like when you guys get mad how you grab dirt and just start throwing it up in the air and ripping your clothes, that's the normal reaction. And then they stretch them out for an old-fashioned flogging, And so this is what Paul is experiencing in these next verses. Now, this is 57 AD. And just to put yourself in the mind of where Paul is, he's on the end of his third missionary journey. Now, what he had done on this last journey is on the way back, he was collecting relief funds for the Jerusalem church. So he's on a mission to help them out. He is entering Jerusalem to help out this church. And he intended to deliver it himself. And he meets up with James, who is the elder of the church at Jerusalem. And then with James, he goes to the temple in order to demonstrate his love for the Jews and the law. So everything he's doing is this heart of wanting to help and be involved with all of his brothers and sisters that know God. But instead, he's falsely accused and he mentions the Gentiles. And now, if it wasn't for some Roman soldiers, they would have flogged and killed him right there, just like they did Stephen a few chapters before. So this is a good point to, to just pause and to really, really put yourself in the position of Paul and how frustrated he must have been, how he felt in all of his, his desire to help out his brothers and sisters in this church and where he is in this moment. And then go to chapter 23, verse 1. It says this, Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. So he had us flogging, and now he's punched in the face. All right? Verse 3, then Paul said to him, I think this is the point where he loses it. This is, he's like, okay, you just punched me in my face. God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Whoa, whoa, settle down, Paul. Stop cussing. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourselves violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Now, honestly, I think March Madness had hit Paul. He would hit that point. Here, here's what he said. The whitewashed wall comment would have actually probably been kind of something that you've heard there before. Because they used to paint the outside of their tombs white. And so what he's really saying is, although, you know, just like our tombs, we paint them white to make them look all nice and new, there's still death and filth and decaying body inside. So he actually is cutting him pretty low saying, yeah, you may look good on the outside, but you're actually decaying filth on the inside. So it's a pretty intense comment. I might start using it. And then verse 5, Paul, I think, realizes how much, how far that insult might have gone and actually how far his frustration might have gone because he says, brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest, for it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. And then he goes into a sermon. And in this sermon, he then puts Sadducees and Pharisees kind of against each other, where they disagree, so much so that riot breaks out again. This is verse 10 now. The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force. And bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. So I think Paul is at a pretty low point. And if it wasn't for, ironically, the Roman soldiers pulling him out of there, he could have had the same experience that Stephen had earlier. So at this point, he's beaten, he's bruised, he's thrown in jail. And that's when God shows up and gives them this point of encouragement. So March Madness is that feeling that you feel when you're so discouraged, so frustrated. You've pressed on, you've marched on, and you still hit that point of, God, I just just need you to show up. And God gives you that little tiny word, that small word that he whispers in your ear, take courage. Because you may feel like Paul. You haven't done anything wrong. You're trying to help others. And this group of religious leaders decided from the beginning that Paul was going to be guilty no matter what. If you look at all the scripture here together and some of the other places in the Bible that also talks about this moment, what had happened is Paul came to Jerusalem with these arrangements already ahead of time to take some men who had changed their life, these Gentiles who had become Christian. He was bringing them to the temple in order that they could follow the law of the temple, to follow the Jewish laws, and to follow along with the process to become these followers of God. He was bringing them in with this kind of mindset. But when the Jews saw the Gentiles coming in with Paul, they just immediately decided that he was sinning and that he was awful. And 40 of them, or over 40 it says, then said, we're not going to eat or drink until we kill Paul. They had like some vow together. Just just imagine them in a room, like having a blood thing together. And they're saying, all right, no one eats and no one drinks until we kill Paul. It's a normal church, you know, get together, kind of a Bible study where you're just going to have this moment. And it gets really intense because as he's transferred to Caesarea, they put 200 soldiers around Paul to protect him. And then 70 horsemen around that And then 200 spearmen around that to protect Paul. It's kind of an intense situation where they want to protect Paul because there's a group trying to kill him. This is no joke. So, as Paul faces all this madness, all this discouragement, this overwhelming, annoying, falsely accused situation, he needs to experience God say, take courage. There's a famous pianist called Paderewski, and he's world famous, and uh, this is, I think I can hear him now. And he's putting on a concert, and there is a mom who brings their nine-year-old. Like most of us, my wife and I do this as well, if we bring our nine-year-old, we're just hoping that somehow they hear it and they're just inspired to become a great something, right? You just think if you put them in the right situations, that they'll be inspired, and that's what this mom wanted. And so she was bringing her son to this concert. The, the son is not inspired. The son's like wiggling around, totally annoyed. And then as the mom's not looking, sort of sneaks out of her chairs, sneaks onto the stage before the master pianist had come out. And he begins playing chopsticks on the piano. To everyone's aghast in the audience, they were like, get off the stage. That's for the great Paderewski. No, I'm not sure what they were saying, but they were yelling something to where... He heard in the back stage and he came out and he began to play next to this little boy. And while he's playing next to this little boy, he's doing this counter melody to make it sound from chopsticks to something beautiful. And he's whispering in this little boy's ear, keep going, do not quit son, keep on playing, do not stop, do not quit. And it becomes this beautiful moment. All of us in this room, We are also playing a spiritual tune to God, something beautiful that God has prepared in us. And he's also whispering in our ear this whole way through, do not quit, keep going, keep going. He's encouraging you and saying, don't quit, press on. God is moving in you. There's something beautiful that you're doing. And I believe in this moment with Paul as he's in this jail cell, just beaten and bruised, the floggings and the punches to the face. He's hearing God come up next to him and whisper in his ear, keep going, press on, take courage. In Acts 23:11, it says, the following night the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage. In your notes today, the very first point on there is take courage. We need to hear these words because the one whispering to Paul is probably Jesus Christ himself, someone who had been through what Paul is going through, someone that was falsely accused, someone who was called a blasphemer, a heretic, a troublemaker, someone that can whisper and say, I know what you're going through, take courage. And whatever you're facing, if you're in this madness moment, that's the same God that's in your ear whispering, take courage. In Matthew 9, 1 through 8, he says this, Take heart, son. The word for heart, if you look at it in the Greek, it's the same word that was used in take courage said to Paul. It's the same spelling, the same word, the same meaning. So he's saying, take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. He uses the same words about your sins being forgiven in the words of take courage to Paul. I got you. In Matthew 9.22, this woman who has this 12-year hemorrhage, he says, take courage, daughter, your faith has healed you. In Matthew 14.27, as he's walking across water to these frightened disciples on a boat, he says, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. In John 16.33, when he goes into the upper room, right after his betrayal, he says, take courage, I have overcome the world. Same word in every one of those scriptures, and Christ is uniquely saying it to us. Take courage. Over and over in the madness, take courage. We need people like this in our lives, especially God, of course, but also people that are surrounding us and telling us, take courage. The tragedies, some of us are facing incredible tragedies and difficult moments beyond our wildest imaginations. We have a God that's whispering in our ear to take courage. And we don't have to face these moments alone. That's why the church is so powerful. If we're doing church correctly, we're also talking and telling each other, take courage. And you'll notice God doesn't explain the plan forward. Very important to catch this. It's not like he then goes, here's why you can take courage. Here's what I'm doing in the background. Here's how it's all going to work out. And 2,000 years from now, there's going to be a church that even talks about this moment. So take courage. He doesn't say any of that. In fact, what he says is take courage. Everything you're facing here, I still need you to do in Rome. So you're going to, have to face this again in Rome, by the way. That's the only plan forward is, hey, I still have more for you to do. There's not like this detailed plan that makes us all feel good saying, okay, I know why I'm facing what I'm facing. It's not what he ever says. He just says, take courage. I've got you. Courage is not the lack of fear. It is doing what you know you have to do in spite of your fear. In our context today, I would say it as in spite of the madness. Mark Twain described it well when he said, courage is resistance to fear, mastery of fear, not absence of fear. If we wanna be like Paul and march on, in these moments of madness that are all around us, we will have to take courage. Courage is foundational to almost every virtue that we talk about throughout the Bible. In fact, I would say it's probably impossible to really be a mature Christian in faith if you don't have this courage that he's speaking about. When it talks about being obedient to Christ, having fellowship with him, pleasing him, If we're dominated by fear, then we'll have a lack of courage to complete what God's telling us to do. I'll give you an example. It's going to be difficult to be honest in every situation you're facing if you have these fears of consequences, fears of what might happen, fears of losing something, losing money, a promotion, reputation, respect, position. You're going to live in a state of fear instead of courage of who God's made you to be. You may have a fear of sharing your faith because you're fearing rejection. You're fearing what God has called you to do because we're lacking the courage knowing that we might have something terrible happen. We might be embarrassed or they might reject us in a way that we can't handle. Uh, It could be a lack of giving. We're so fearful of the economic times and what we're facing in the world that's around us that we struggle with this virtue of giving and what God wants to do with worship through giving because we're so fearful of what may happen if we do it, instead of taking courage no matter what our situation is. A lack of persistence to finish well. God has called us to finish well. Our fears of failure, our fears of not understanding what God's doing, our fears of not knowing the plan forward, all of it stops what God is doing if we don't take courage and move forward no matter what we face. Courage leads to all other areas that God is speaking of throughout the Bible. Paul has this in Acts 23, and God has to remind him in that jail cell again, remember, I have you, take courage. Adrian Rogers tells about the man who bragged that he cut off the tail of a man-eating lion with a pocket knife, and they were asking him, why would you cut off the tail of a lion with a pocket knife. Why wouldn't you at least try and cut off the head of the lion? And he says, well, somebody had already done that part. That's not the courage we're looking for. See, it's it's easy to have courage when everything's going well, when when the issues are already taken care of, when we understand the plan forward. That's the easy part of courage. But to have courage when the March Madness hits... That's when it becomes special. And courage shows up through the madness when, and this is in your notes, march, when we march on to a deeper intimacy with God. See, knowing God, that's fine when everything's going well. We're like all good with knowing God when our lives are going really nicely, just how we planned, every way that we wanted it to go. Then we're good. We're good with knowing God, but the madness shows up when all of that starts to happen and the world's going crazy around us, it's only our deeper intimacy with God that's going to allow us to take courage in those moments. Will you have prepared and already been ready so that when the madness hits, you can then take courage? There's a ton of stories of people around the world, missionaries who are taking courage in very difficult situations. I could have read you a thousand stories, these thick books about martyrs throughout history who took courage in some of the most difficult situations. But then I came across this story of a kindergarten teacher in our world today, and I thought, this is probably closer to our reality than the martyrs and the missionaries. Because I, I I look at Paul and I'm like, you're amazing. Not really the life that I'm experiencing. I'm, I'm a pastor and sometimes things get difficult, but I haven't been flogged lately. I mean, it's just some of these situations aren't the same. But as I'm raising my kids, the madness hits in different ways. And this story is about a kindergarten teacher trying to put cowboy boots on one of the kids in her class. And as she's pushing these boots on that are obviously not fitting well, some ill-fitted, wrong-sized shoes. She's sweating and frustrated, trying to help this little boy get these shoes on. And she finally gets them on. The little boy says, "Uh, teacher, they're on the wrong foot. Or I should say feet. And she looks down and realizes they are on the wrong feet. So she begins to struggle and pull and get the shoes off of the feet. And then work them back on the correct feet, working and pushing and just continuing to sweat through this. And when she finally gets them on, the little boy says, these aren't my boots. So she bites her lip and begins to keep her cool as she pulls these boots back off this little boy and finally gets them off. And the little boy says, these are my brother's boots. My mom made me wear these today. Stifling a scream, she musters up the grace and courage to continue on and to get the boots back on this little boy and finally gets them back on and says, okay, wear your gloves. And little boy says, oh, I stuffed those into the toes of the boots. <laughs> so the article ends by saying her trial starts next month. I tell this illustration because that's more my reality and the madness of getting my kids out the door in the morning with an actual lunch, or I should say my wife getting the kids out the door with an actual lunch and their homework and some kind of decently cleaned clothes and their hair done. You feel the madness in those moments or as you're driving as the Uber driver you are, your kids all around trying to just keep your life in check. It's not the same as we're reading it, as Paul is talking about and the experiences that he's going through. But we're still dealing with an incredibly difficult and annoying and a madness on a daily basis. And it's only going to be our deep, intimate relationship with Christ that will press us forward and take courage no matter what we face. Because life can get a little nuts. And life can get very crazy at times. But you always have this God, like that piano player, whispering in your ear, saying, take courage. But it begins now. It begins by creating this deep, intimate relationship before the madness hits. It's not something you want to add in that moment. It's something you want to create. You want to put in the deposits ahead of time, knowing that God will be with me in the good times and the bad times. Courage shows up through the madness when we march on with like-minded friends. It's important to surround yourself with encouragers, people that are also like-minded and believe the way you do and can give you the encouragement when you need it. One of the things I love about Canyon Hills is that we have about an 80% life group rate, meaning 80% of our church is involved in some kind of life group. That's incredible because what you're saying is, my relationship with God and others And like-minded people is more than this 25-minute message on Sunday mornings. You have to go beyond this moment and say, I also want to live life with like-minded people and deal with the struggle and be able to talk about the struggle together. I always talk about the 10 or 15 minutes after services in the courtyard and how valuable that time is. We're very busy people. And on Sunday mornings, we kind of check off church and then move to our next activity of the day. And that makes total sense when everything is going well. But if you take the time and you put the deposits of those 10 or 15 minutes of even when things are going well, getting to know people, new people in this church, what happens is when the madness hits, then you're able to use all that time that you put in with people who love and care for you. Relationships where you know their phone number and you can call them. That is having actual relationship where you can, in the time of madness, call on the people. And it might be one year, five years. You may not need it for a long time. You're just good. But then, as everyone has happened, the the madness hits. And that's when you can call on this time of the time that you gave and loved and cared and took the extra 10 minutes to get to know a new person Every week I try and grab someone and have coffee with them and throughout the week because I want to have those relationships. It's important that even when things are good that you're spending those those time building relationships. Courage shows up through the madness when we march on in obedience. Some of you are here today and you know what is right, but you're knowingly choosing a different path. You choose a path Because maybe there's just, it could be anything. And you know what's right, and yet you're still choosing wrong. Real courage, true courage, is stopping the madness and choosing God 100%. This morning, I want to pray for people who need to make that first step with God. In September 21st, 2001, the San Francisco Chronicle, this is right after 9-11, the headline read, Freedom and Fear are at War. Freedom and fear are at war. Here's the truth. Fear is at war with not only freedom, but it's at war with every aspect of your life. You have fear attacking you in the world of health on a daily basis, constantly fearing what God's doing inside your body through health. And it's attacking you and attacking you and attacking you, this fear of what might be happening inside of you. There's a war, a fear that's going on with good decisions. You know right from wrong, and yet on a daily basis, there's a battle going on on which one you're going to choose. True courage pushes beyond the fear to make the right decisions towards Christ. Fear is warring warring against obedience. Will you follow God's plan forward in your life? It interferes with every aspect of your life, this word fear. And if you're here today and you're living in a state of fear, It's time to get rid of that madness and say, God, I'm all in. I'm going to start to be obedient and trust in you and trust in that voice, that still small voice saying, take courage in my ear. Because everything else is going to push against it. You're going to look out there and go, all right, yeah, I believe in a God. And I believe that there's something more in this world. There has to be. But the idea, the concept of this God, this universe, and he creates some kind of like world that we live in. And then he comes down to be a part of it. And then he's inside of me and he wants to lead me forward. That's the jump that I'm not sure I can take. And that's fear that begins to move through you. Say I can't make him Lord and savior of my life. That's a little too big of a jump. But are you here today saying, I'm ready to take courage and be obedient with the first step, which is to say, God, I believe, I'm ready, I'm all in. I wanna take this step forward and believe that you are real and believe that you care about me. That's a big jump for some people and a lot of fear is in the way of that jump. So are you here today ready to take courage? And secondly, there's some people in the room that. There's a different fear that's been attacking you for a while. We come in this room with fears. What do you need to lift up to God and take courage in? I wanna pray for both of those this morning. If you will, bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here this morning and you're ready to say, I'm all in, I'm ready to stop fighting against God. I'm ready to believe and take courage that he cares for me right where I am, no matter who I am. And you're saying, I'm all in. I just want you to raise your hand and say, that's me. I'm not going to embarrass you or do anything weird. But if you're here and you're saying, I'm in. I need to stop fighting. I'm in. God, I'm in. Just raise your hand and say, that's me. Pray for me. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Secondly, there's people in here that are dealing with a fear that they, you're all in with God and you believe, but you need to take courage with a certain part of your life. Will you just right now lift that up to God, just quietly amongst yourselves, just say, God, here's my fear. I need to hear your voice saying, take courage. Just lift it up. God, we just come before you and we thank you. We thank you that you continue to give us just enough. And the world is a bit mad. I turn on the news and it's pretty crazy. And so, Lord, thank you for continuing to hold me and protect me and to love me in a world that's going crazy around me. And we lift up these fears to you knowing that you care And we take courage, knowing that you also win. And I thank you for those hands that said, I'm all in this morning. I pray, Lord, that they connect with someone, connect with a pastor or a friend, and that this is a difference in their life, one of those moments that they can mark down. Lord, we give you this time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.